0: Hello and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. I'm Joseph McCarthy of Irish Abroad and I'm joined again by Mark Kennedy from Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan from the bottomless pit of football to discuss the recent games for the Ireland senior men's and under 21s team. And we're going to preview the women's final qualifier against Germany. Lads, thanks for joining me. How are you? All good now, lads. Same for yourselves.
1: How are we, lads? How's things?
0: So the three games that Ireland played in November against England, Wales and Bulgaria mean that Stephen Kenny has set three unwanted records. He was the first manager to go five consecutive games without scoring. He's now the first Ireland manager ever to go six games without scoring, which Ireland has never done uh, in its history and has had the worst start to a managerial reign since uh, Mick Megan. If things continue the way they are, he could break megan's record of 12 mm-hmm. games without a win we discussed the england game before a ball was kicked at wembley and the three of us agreed that this game just didn't need to happen we all know that england are a better team than ireland right now they've put better teams than ireland to the sword uh, home and away consistently over the last few years and even considering them, they only scored three against Ireland, it seemed like a bit of a mercy. The, in the second half, especially, the, the England team seemed content to just play out the fixture. Ireland never really looked like scoring, and we didn't even get a corner until the 70th minute. Mark, uh, we said I, we knew that game shouldn't have gone ahead. Uh, as bad as it was, it could have been a whole lot worse. Uh, what did you think?
2: Uh, look, <laughs> Trina loss I think, was pretty... Uh, how, how do I describe this? It could have been far, far worse. But again, I think we said it in the podcast that England were going to try this game, really to use their depth chart again. And unfortunately, when that happens, players are going to impress. And to be honest, it likes to Calvert Lewin, Saka. I tell had an unbelievable game for England on that right side. There were certain players there that were impressing, Garrett Sokit, and we kind of got the full brunt of it, particularly in the first half. Now, in fairness, to England, they didn't really have to do a whole pile to score, particularly the first two goals. Um, I thought second half we definitely did, did improve. If you want to be, you know, optimistic about Ireland's performance here. But again, the game was long gone. England had made their changes in the second half. It looked as if they'd kind of shut it down a little bit to a certain extent. But again, likes of Alan Brown. Horgan did have a nice little cameo first, 15, 20 minutes, faded out the game. Brown was kind of prominent in that second half. Made a few shots, Ronan Curtis as well. But again, the game was long gone. It, it, could you even call it a training game, That's for England really at that stage? I think you were just seeing out the minutes from about minute 55 on. But overall, look, 3-0, it could have been 5, could have been 6. We got out of there with a loss and then, you know, wasn't too sapping in terms of morale. Well, that's what we thought anyway.
0: The story that came out after the fixtures were complete about a controversial video that was shown, consisting of two and a half minutes of historical footage between Ireland and England and famous goals from Euro 88 and Italian '90 and followed by 30 seconds of a history lesson, basically. Phil, managers have used motivational videos for a number of years now, mm-hmm. and I think the bigger story behind that video and the speech that Stephen Kenny gave to the squad after it was that it came out at all. These are the kind of stories you don't hear from a settled squ- or a happy squad. What did you think of it?
1: So it wasn't actually like, look, Stephen Kenny showing a video. Oh, my God. What is, what's on the video? I think it's really just to, somebody's decided they're going to show up Stephen Kenny as a bit of an amateur. Because the first thing I thought when I, when I heard about this video was I thought amateur hour. Like, I realized people throw up posters and newspaper clippings and the odd video in the dressing room. But, like, if Stephen Kenny is going to the well that early and showing a video, any sort of video to g up his players who were on such a bad losing run to actually put in an extra few percent against England I think it says an awful lot about him and I think it says an awful lot about the state of the team is in and I think whoever released it knows that and knew that that's generally what the public would think and it's just a way of kind of trying to cement people's opinions on Stephen Kenny who mightn't exactly agree with what he's trying to do if you're Stephen Kenny and you're trying to G I up the Ireland players Before an England game You've got Shane Duffy there You've got James McLean there They're going to talk to all the players They're going to tell everybody How important it is You've Brady as well They're going to tell them What this game They know what the game means I just think the fact that he did it Like while I don't disagree with the video It's not I just think the whole idea of it is crazy Like I don't care that the video Might have had a couple of minutes Or whatever in it It's the fact that he's done it Like he can't be there already Trying to cheese players up for that, like they know the crack. Whoever like released it to the press knew what he was doing. Smart
0: boy, because it
1: makes Kenny look stupid. Unfortunately,
0: Brian Carr said in, in the media that, or he's tried to impart historical lessons to his teams in the past as well. Uh, he mentioned playing Denmark and taking the team to a museum and showing them uh, artifacts that have been stolen from Ireland so that side of it didn't really bother me but it's Ireland against England you shouldn't need motivation to to play England Uh, like you said there Shane Duffy and James McLean are the kind of players who would be more aware than possibly anyone else of the the history between the two Shane Duffy is captain you know he should be expected to maybe make a, a speech and tell them what what it means to him what it means to his family and James McLean tell you what it means to the people of Craig and where he's from uh, in Derry.
1: He obviously doesn't feel like he's getting enough out of them, and it's a huge tell. Like, and the fact that they went out and they were within, a, like, they started well, but within a half an hour they were so lethargic. And and Doherty came out and he even said it, like, like when you put all the pieces together, it really doesn't look great. Like, it gives you the impression that some of the players. I know they the players have all come out and backed them. A lot of the senior players, but doesn't give you a great overall impression of where the team is because he had to do it like lads should be running through walls regardless but as we said in the last podcast it's a team that's had however many changes they're on a bad run they're totally demoralized because in the games they have played well they haven't been able to get the ball in the back of the net and they've conceded silly goals so if you're in the dressing room and you know you're coming up against an England team with the likes of Grealish, who's absolutely on fire, uh, Calvert Lewin. You know you're on hiding to nothing before you go out. You know that. You know you're. You know you're. You're not going to win because players know they're not stupid. They don't think they're going to go out and beat England in Wembley in the form they're in with the squad they're in to go in then and sit down and watch that and watch the manager try and like get an extra few percent. I'm sure a few of them were thinking, What's this guy even trying to do here? Because it didn't work on the pitch anyway, it didn't translate to into the legs because there was no extra running. And then to not play Brady as or not not play Brady and
0: McLean then, who were both experienced. It is worrying. Possibly something that hasn't been mentioned in the discussion about this video was that it clearly didn't work. The players watched the video, hopefully they absorbed some of the history of the fixture, and then you still went down and lost three nil. So immediately after that, we have to travel to Cardiff for the final away game in the current Nations League campaign. Wales were missing their manager through no fault of their own. And I got the impression that we were playing for a draw. We were playing not to lose. To go and get a result against a Welsh side in Wales in any code is always tough. I hate watching Ireland play Six Nations games there. I hated watching (laughs) Ireland have to go there and get a result, even in friendlies. And it looked like it was going for a boring nil-nil draw until a cross came over from the Welsh right, from uh, Nico Jones, Garbale headed it back across the six-yard area, and Brooks was there to head into what was, at that stage, an unguarded net after Shane Duffy has crashed into Kevin Long, uh, trying to head the initial cross, Darren Randolph was left a little flat footed following the flight of the ball and Matt Doherty kind of similarly had to jump backwards to try and clear the ball whereas Bale had the relatively simple task of jumping forward just to loop the ball over Doherty's head and after the goal went in, like the air just got sucked out of the team it just felt like we, we hadn't scored at that point it didn't look like we were going to score you know, he brought on Jack Byrne and uh, James Collins to try and rescue something. And Collins, I thought, actually did more than possibly anyone else in the team had done in the the rest of the game to try and get a goal. Jack Byrne's biggest contribution on the night was the pass that led to Jeff Hendrick getting sent off. You know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And Stephen Kenny seems stuck to this 4-3-3 formation. And it's just not working. There's no join between defence and midfield. And when the midfield players do get on the ball, the players that you'd expect to be available for a pass aren't. Uh, I think the central striker against Wales, it was Aramida and then James Collins, but they just seemed isolated. After seven games in charge at that point, you'd think that he would try and change something, but he isn't. I don't understand that mentality. And what do you think he should do either change the formation or the personnel to make this work?
2: Yeah, well, he's tried plenty of personnel, and it's no fault of Stephen Kenny that we've had that mass level of personnel changes in the squad. I mean, from the England game to the Welsh game, sure the likes of Alan Brown were unavailable for selection. So he's had to contend with an awful lot of external factors that typically an international coach perhaps wouldn't have faced in a, kind of a pandemic year like COVID. But as you say, Joe, we seem to be a little bit predictable, even with the personnel that we're playing at the moment. We're trying to pass it off from the back. I, I really feel for Shane Duffy at the moment because he's really kind of struggling with the game plan. He's taking a ball so deep in his own penalty area for fear of being dispossessed. And you can see where opposition are coming. They'll allow our back four to have the ball and then literally a loose pass in midfield opposition will pounce and hey presto our midfield defensive area there seems to be massive gaps there in terms of formation i think he's gone 4-3-3 pretty religiously for the the tenure i'd love to ask stephen kenny does he actually know what his first 11 are right now because i don't think we may have potentially seen it yet because seamus coleman hasn't ever featured on the team and again All about our personnel as well, guys. I don't think we do have the players right now, particularly final third. I'm not seeing kind of that change in tactic, you know, even putting the ball even behind, particularly the Welsh back three. That never really happened until maybe James Collins came on, gave us a bit more of a direct route. I know it's probably going back to the old style of play, but even to get a bit of a stranglehold on territory, we seem to be just passing nice, pretty passes in front of opposition, we're not really posing many questions. You know, a little bit of variation wouldn't hurt, I would think, from Stephen Kenny. And particularly now with World Cup qualifiers coming up, I think he's now in a situation where does he hold firm or does he kind of vary it out? Again, it's a tough one, Joe, I think. Uh, from a Stephen Kenny perspective, I think he's now under pressure to produce results. And does he just stay to his values? I think he probably will for the next few games.
0: Yeah, we're waiting to see what the results of the draw for the World Cup qualifiers are early in December, and the qualifiers themselves will start in March, by which time you'd hope that the worldwide pandemic situation has eased somewhat. There's reports of vaccines being made available uh, in December and early in the new year, and hopefully even fans back at games by the time uh, those fixtures roll around. Phil, just on the, the Welsh game, we actually had the majority of the possession. We would 52% to Wales, 48 We attempted and completed slightly more passes than the Welsh. And I think a lot of these stats are pointing to a general improvement under Kenny. And I think he's trying to get the team to play the way he wants to play. But I think one of the hallmarks of a a good manager is that he will build a team out of the players and he's trying to build the players into a team and one of the downsides of international football is that you don't get to spend as much time working with players on things like formation on things like set pieces on things like positions on the pitch as you would if you were a club manager and that might have been passed over or might have been something that, that was missed when Stephen Kenny was appointed but after the Wales game did you think things were going to improve?
1: No, not immediately for the Bulgaria game because the thing about the Wales game is it—it just—it followed the pattern that we've seen under Stephen Kenny, like and, I, and I'm a hundred percent behind Stephen Kenny in what he's trying to do, but he doesn't have to be rigid, as rigidly tied to this system as people think he does. Like it, the Wales game just followed basically the pattern of all the other games where we started well, we knocked it about, we had a, one or two half chances. We give away the sloppy goal and then we don't really respond that well. You know, I know Collins Kimani, the two quick shots, but that's been the pattern. And the worrying thing about that pattern is that if you're Stephen Kenny and you're watching the same movie again where your team starts well and they concede, the last four times you've watched it, you haven't scored an equaliser in what you're trying to do. So what makes you think you're going to score it? this time, if you do the exact same thing, you need to change it. You know, you have to change it ever so slightly if it's not working. We're all for 4-3-3, we're all for what he's trying to do, it's tough to watch at times, playing out from the back. It's much better to watch than what came before him, but he has to tweak it in-game. His in-game management hasn't been great. It really hasn't, and for the first few games, you can give him the benefit of the doubt, and obviously he's missing players, but The actual changes tactically haven't been great. Like, when Wales scored, did anyone really think we were going to get the equaliser? No. Like, that was one of the big things with Martin O'Neill. Like, when the goal down, we're like, geez, we'll probably get one, you know, because we'll push on. And he he loved throwing players on up front. Whereas, like, if you look at the two changes in the Wales game, he brought O'Dowda and Byrne on. But he brought them on with, like, seven minutes to go. They're attacking midfielders. They came on cold. They finished the game cold. We saw what Byrne did wasn't warmed up these players need 10-15 minutes into the game and you could see from the 60th minute that we weren't going to score he, these changes needed to come earlier and he his reactions aren't great so like going into the bulgaria game i like i didn't think we were going to see Anthem better like at this stage i kind of wrote off the three games and hopefully when march comes around we'll have more players and a bit of a fresh start but he definitely has to look at his in-game management i think because it's, it hasn't been up to scratch so far, in my opinion.
0: Vernon and when only made their appearance in the game on the 82nd minute. Collins and Horan came on five minutes earlier. Jason Knight was the first substitute introduced on, on 60 minutes. And by the time the other four had come on, we were one nil down.
1: If Sorry, Joe, if I can just cut in. If you're bringing on a player like Collins or you know a striker like that, the whole point of that is to try and pin Wales back, put them under pressure, to pin them in their own half and to lay siege to them with 20 minutes to go. You need to build up momentum, push them back, don't let them breathe, keep them pinned in their own half. That's how you score when you're one nil down. Like we, we saw that with O'Neill loads of times in the last five minutes of games. We always did it, even though we might not have kicked kick at the ball all game. We'd still bring on players and we'd still pin a team back for the last five or ten minutes. But O'Neill made the changes relatively early and he could see, by the Denmark game, I suppose, he could see what was going on. But Kenny just, he doesn't seem to want to try anything else than what he's he's doing. If it's a case of it'll work eventually, but it's not going to work all the time. And he has to have a plan B. And
2: at the moment, he has no plan B. Is it just a Stephen Kenny problem here, guys? Do we need to talk a little bit about the backroom staff? Are they, you know, is their feedback being ignored right now? I'm thinking, like, well, how Duff. Duff
1: isn't screaming in his ear to bring on yeah. someone like Jack Byrne. Duff would have been involved in how many of these games?
0: You know, the same that's with
1: Andrews, especially Andrews. If you've highlighted that before. Like, uh, it's a possibility.
0: And Andrews, you know, worked his way up from non-league back to Premier League. He's well he used to digging out results in in league too. I think, on some level, he knows what changes need to be made to get results like that. Do you think that's Kenny wasn't prepared for international, for senior international football. I did think against England at the end of the game that he didn't seem disappointed with the result. And there was, it's like, it's hard to read expressions, but looking at him, it just seemed that, you know, he couldn't believe he was managing a team in Wembley. Now, that might not have been the same for Wales, but Cardiff Arms Park is still a daunting place to go. And if it was full of fans... I'm sure the atmosphere would have been amazing uh, even for the just for the anthem alone. I think that he wants to change the result by sheer force of will, but mm-hmm. he doesn't know how to do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh I think he's trying everything that he would normally would do as a club manager, but he doesn't have the experience as an international manager to make those same changes. The team up until the point where we went Wandel down against Wales didn't look like scoring. James Collins, when he came on, was the only player who did look like he was going to score. But we didn't, and it meant that Kenny had set a new record of consecutive games without scoring uh, as an Irish manager. And then we faced the final game in the, the group stages of the Nations League at home to the bottom team in our league, Bulgaria, the only team that Kenny had scored against a late... Header to rescue a draw uh, in Sofia, and again, and we failed to score, and we never looked like scoring. And I know there was a disruptive build-up to every game in in these three games, and the disruption probably was even more for this. Alan Kelly, the goalkeeping coach, uh, decided not to travel because of uh, health concerns, and had to release a statement saying that. It wasn't him that went to the press with the story about the video. There was uh, first call-ups for Aaron McIniff and Jack Taylor. Uh, Ryan Manning made his debut uh, at left full. Darryl, uh, O'Shea went from playing left full against Wales to playing right full against Bulgaria. And we weren't alone in having disruptions. Bulgaria were missing nine of their players for the game, but we failed to even register a shot on target. Now, this was a game where the bar for expectations of Ireland fans has dropped so much. It's gone from hoping we'll win to hoping we won't lose to hoping we'll score, and now it's hoping we get a shot on target. And uh, We failed to score against a team that hadn't registered uh, a goal away from home in the, the league, it was their first point away from home of the three games. They lost in Wales. They lost in Helsinki. And actually, of the three results, I know we lost the other two games, but of the three results, that nil-nil against Bulgaria was the worst one for me. Phil, I, I just felt, I didn't even feel numb. I just felt disinterested. And I never want to say that about an international side, uh, an Irish international side. I Just watching them walking off, I just didn't care. It's hard to get up for a game like that. But then there was so much at
1: stake then as well with the way that the games were going for the World Cup pool. I went on about patterns and we kind of followed the same pattern with the Wales game. But this was where we broke the pattern because we started horrendously bad. The worst we've played under Kenny by a long shot. I felt for Ryan Manning every time he got the ball. He looked way out of his depth. I suppose the one chink of light in that game was Jason Knight who played reasonably well. And looks like he's definitely one to come into the team eventually, as long as he keeps getting a good run of games with Derby. Curtis had that chance. If if we're winning games or if we're drawing games, that chance goes in. He puts it in the bottom corner, no problem. But it's a demoralised team. And it's a team with no leadership as well. But like this, obviously the pressure on... The team to score has really got to them like we we're all watching it when he went one-on-one you were like oh there's no way he scoring this and he balloons it you know and Brady hits the bar then and then you you know they're not going to score and like let's be honest right if we have a look at our starting 11 for that game we've got Duffy, Randolph, Horahan, we've got Brady, Long, I put O'Shea in there as well like Bulgaria you were missing eight or nine players we're at home and we didn't press them at all, and we didn't make them play our game. They were very relaxed, and I think the fact that there was no fans at that game saved Stephen Kenny's job, because that team gets booed off at half time and it gets booed off at full time if there's fans there. Unfortunately, I hate to say it, but but if you were there watching that, if you're coming up from Cork or Mayo, three and a half hour journey up and back, and you watch that. that You'd be livid like. They've had how many games and they knew it's their last chance before March. Give everybody the last thing everyone remembers about the Irish international football years, oh, we finally won or we finally got a goal. That's the monkey off the back. And they just they just didn't do it at all. That's my rant over, sorry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> <You're okay. laughs> it was an opportunity to get First win and it was an opportunity to stay in with the second seeds for the World Cup draw in December and we missed all of them we needed two other results to go our way that night we needed Serbia to beat Russia and we needed Romania not to beat Northern Ireland and both of those results came in and we're the ones who failed by not beating Bulgaria. Mark like, what did you think after the game I mean were you as disappointed as I was? I was mixed emotions for me
2: I was happy to see the likes of Jason Knight on the pitch. He provided, as Phil said, you know, the bright spark for me. You know, at least we see someone from a midfield perspective, we saw Jason Malumbe as well in the Welsh game. There's underage talent there, you can see the potential Darroche as well. So I would take it from that perspective. Uh, I feel the Ryan Manning kind of comment, maybe a little bit unfair, considering Ryan Manning's move from QPR to Swansea. He's not the regular full-back at the moment at Swansea, and it kind of did show a little bit in terms of lack of match practice. And unfairness fairness to him, being thrown in in the deep end of an international that really we wanted to win. I mean, for Stephen Kenny, this was a, a huge game for him to get, as you said, the monkey off the back. I just feel, guys, that... We're really struggling right now from a final third perspective. Just that change of tactic, you know, even like Daryl Horgan, Ronan Curtis as well, really varying our play. We're kind of passing it, like in fairness to Bulgaria, they stayed very compact, very tight defensively. They had a few chances on the counter-attack. Let's, uh, let's be brutally honest there as well. But from an iron perspective, I think it was really the final third quality really was kind of letting us down. Crosses, final ball in, Robbie Brady, crossbar, it's just, unfortunately, it's been that run of games, hasn't it? It's like things that could have possibly gone wrong for Stephen Kennedy's side have gone wrong. Robbie Brady's chance, like, good strike, I mean, another inch lower, it's a goal, 1-0. You know, you could see the the confidence ooze, but I I, I hate to say this, but the substitutions at the end, what was that all about? Two or three minutes for, like, Jack Byrne, guys like that to come on and Saved the game, essentially. It was kind of, um, I think we've been talking about the substitutions, giving people sufficient time. I just thought there was no logic in that whatsoever. If you're going 86, 87 minutes with, you know, your players, you know, you might as well give them the full 90. So, yeah, the no shot in target, I think, as Phil said, if there was a full house in, in the Eviva Stadium, I just wonder what the reaction would have been. It's a very tough spell for Stephen Kenny, but I think also for the backroom staff as well, because... This is the full reality of international football. We've been exposed here in terms of the nice, pretty football is there for everyone to see. But we have brutally no end product right now. And for that back four and Randolph as well, they have to go into games in the mindset that they can't leak a goal in. Because if they do, we're going to lose a match. And you can see that seeping even on the midfield, even in the, the, the strikers. You know, the, the general confidence. There seems to be a lack of clarity in what the game plan is right now. And yeah, it will be interesting to see with Stephen Kenny, and I would really look to Damien Duff here and Keith Andrews to provide that a little bit more leadership in the backroom staff to really kind of get Stephen Kenny, get the guys really together to see how we're going to come away from here because the World Cup qualifying could be a brutal draw. and even the likes of the Azerbaijan's they'll fancy a right crack at us. At least we didn't lose the game; we didn't get out of the you know the third kind of seeds here, the third group which would be an unmitigated disaster, something that Northern Ireland have ha- now have to contend with. But still, there's an awful lot of, unfortunately, negatives here. But trying to be positive, you know, in terms of Jason Knight, Jason Malumbe, Darrell O'Shea. This is how, if Stephen Kenny really wants to kind of approach this team long term, he has to plug the new guys in. And the likes of Adam Eda as well, he has to persist with these guys. Because who else are we going to go for?
0: How big of a loss do you think David McGoldrick was to the side? These are the kind of things that are outside the manager's control. But to lose a player like McGoldrick with his experience, not at an international level, but he, he knows how to play that target man role. And he's a very intelligent player as well, which I think sometimes goes unmentioned. And the other options that we have to play that central striker don't have that intelligence yet. So with him deciding to retire... And it was only announced a few days before the squad was announced. I think that that changed to Kenny's plans. He didn't have time to adapt to it.
2: Again, I think with McGoldrick, he's such a workhorse for the team. But we have, there. I said, like James Collins, you being that figurehead. You know, McGoldrick definitely would involve more people in the play. Uh, it's probably something that Adam Ida definitely is learning and developing. You know, the more game time he gets, hopefully with North City this season, we'll see that a little bit. I think from a Goldrick standpoint, again, it's a lack of goals. Would he be the the out and out goal scorer here? He'll, you know, run for lost causes. But again, it's just a game plan right now. We're not really asking questions of defenses, opposition defenses on the flanks. There's no balls going over the top. There's nothing there. It's all to feast and. You know, something that McGoldrick would probably relish is running down the flanks, you know, forcing a mistake. So uh, McGoldrick definitely would be a loss. Look, he's an EPL player. Is he going to solve the goal-scoring crisis long-term? Look at the age, look at the series of injuries that he's had in his career. It's debatable,
0: to be perfectly honest. Just to finish with the national side, if you thought it couldn't get any worse, of course it can, because there's only one team who has failed to score less than Ireland's. Two goals in the Nation League, which is San Marino, who have yet to score. And there's only five teams who haven't won a game yet in the nations League, including the Republic of Ireland. We sit beside Andorra, Iceland, Northern Ireland and San Marino in waiting for our first win. So we'll have to wait a minimum of 18 months before we get a chance to improve on that record. Just on that, between those couple of stats that you've put out there now
1: and the England game, are people kind of finally going to realise that we're shit? I mean that in the nicest possible way. You're still going to get people now going, if Stephen Kenny doesn't get us second in the World Cup qualifying, he should be sacked. Twelve teams qualify for for the World Cup from Europe. We couldn't qualify for the European Championships had 24. So, the chances of us qualifying for the World Cup are, I would say, slim to none. And the England game was, if it served any purpose, it showed just how far we are behind the top-level teams when they can pull out their second-string team and do that to us. I know we've pulled on Kenny a bit here and highlighted some of his faults, but I'd still be totally behind giving him the World Cup qualifying campaign and seeing what he can do and seeing can he bring these players on. But like Irish fans kind of have to start to realise, even your casual Irish fan, we can't compete at the top level anymore. We should have absolutely zero expectations of qualifying for this World Cup. There's no point like pilling the team for going out and getting beaten by like a Sweden or a Denmark next time out, or even a Wales, because you know we shouldn't be beating them. You hear our, our name rhymed off there with San Marino and teams
0: like that. We're a bit better than them now. We are, but we're, we're not much. I don't really agree with that. I don't think we're bad. We can still put out a team of 11 Premier League players, which Wales can't say, which Denmark can't say. We don't have an individual world-class player like... Gareth Bale or or Haaland or Ibrahimovic or well a lot of England's players would be you know in in that level but we should be able to score a goal we should be able to get a win oh I, I told yeah I'm not saying that I'm just saying
1: like I think there's still this belief that we should be qualifying for tournaments at the moment we
0: shouldn't be qualifying for any tournament like it's hard to disagree with that uh, we were a fourth seed in the last World Cup qualifiers and we got to the playoffs. We'll be a third seed in this in the qualifiers next year. So I think our expectations should be a minimum of third in the group. Third in the group, yeah, but that's not qualifying, so you're kind no. of agreeing with me. So yeah. <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with you. I don't think qualification is out of the question. I think our expectations should be a minimum of third in the group. And I think, barring a freak result along the lines of losing 5-2 to Cyprus or whoever the lowest seeded team in the group is, I think Steve Kenny should be allowed to finish the qualifiers next year to, to show what he can do. And I don't think failing to qualify should necessarily cost him his job, but I think finishing fourth, it's going to be harder to justify keeping him on. Like every new manager gets a honeymoon period from the fans and Kenny, coming from a League of Ireland background, would have possibly even had a a bigger welcome from League of Ireland football fans. But by the time fans are allowed back into into stadiums next year, that's gone. So he's actually starting from a lower point than he would have done if there was fans allowed into the stadium. Because, as I say, and as I keep as I keep saying, his his minimum expectations now is hitting the target. It's not even scoring, it's not even getting a result, it's getting a shot on target.
2: The only thing I would say there, Joe, as well, I, I hit her back on external factors for Stephen Kenny, but it's been unprecedented the amount of withdrawals that he's had in the squad. He hasn't had really a solid, dare I say, squad to work with game in, game out. There has been some drama in terms of the plane ride to Slovakia or, you know, player's picking up positive tests, you name it. I, I, even fairness in the back forward, Like, did he name the same back four in any of these games in the Nations League? So I, I, probably not. And then the likes of the Se- Seamus Coleman, Aaron Connolly has to come back into the reckoning here. I hope he starts blooding Jason Knight. Likes of Jason Malumby as well. You'd hope probably Brady extends his game minutes as well for Burnley. So, again, he's going to be evaluated completely on this world cup qualification campaign and within two to three fixtures i think we'll know fairly quickly if this is going to sink without trace i think he's on a tender hook right now this videotape leak if it le- gives him one lesson there's enemies within the fai that are questioning them already so he needs to come out swinging so hopefully hopefully he hasn't lost the dressing room but think for the players pride and stuff like that i think they need to bounce back massively in the World Cup qualifiers. So I think, from my perspective, you have to give Stephen time here. And let's see how the dice rolls.
0: I agree that he hasn't been able to pick uh, his first choice team yet. There's enough quality there to get, to finish at least third in the group. I think third should be the aim. And third is achievable.
1: And, you know, maybe, maybe they might do something. But I think that's that's a, a realistic aim for the next qualifying campaign, to finish third and to bring through the likes of O'Shea, Knight, malumbi Ida, Parrott, Connolly, five or six players into the first team to integrate them properly and to, you know, to finish third strongly and beat everybody that we should be beating. And he does deserve the time in that. But I'm just saying, like, there will be a lot of people out there that will still unrealistically expect us to finish second and if we don't they'll use it to beat Stephen Kenny down, which I think is just the wrong way of looking at it. Like I, I agree with Volti exactly what you're saying.
0: Moving on from the, the senior team, the under-21s also concluded their qualifying series for the twenty twenty-one UEFA under-twenty-one championship. They had two games in November home to Iceland and away to Luxembourg. Like Iceland were coming off the back of a two-one loss to Italy uh, in uh, Reykjavik uh, in a postponed fixture. Um, so the boys in green possibly fancy their chances against a slightly less rested uh, Iceland team but Iceland went on to win 2-1 and condemn the team to finish third in the final standings in the group. This has been seen as a massive missed opportunity for the under-21s and I would have a degree of sympathy for them. Not only was the qualifying series interrupted by the ongoing global pandemic, but they lost the manager and several key players to the senior side. Mark, if you look at the players that featured across the qualifiers for the the under-21s, there's still quite a few um, that still are eligible for the next series uh, for the 2023 championships, including goalkeeper Gavin Bazunu, Leo Connor, uh, Mark McGinnis, Nathan Collins, Jonathan Afolabi, Aaron Connolly, Michael Obafemi, Adam Ida, and Troy Parrish, all eligible for the next qualifiers. Uh, now, at least three of those, I think, will be involved with the senior team, but the remit of the under-21s is to provide players for the senior team, and they've definitely done that over the last two years, but It kind of just felt like things just kept going badly for Irish international football with those two results, especially the one against Iceland, when at home you would hope that they would avenge their loss uh, earlier in the qualifiers.
2: Yeah, I suppose mixed mixed feelings when I was watching that on the Sunday. You know, an awful lot of those guys will be eligible for under-21s. And I think this Icelandic game was a perfect example of international football of how... Cutthroat it actually is, because we dominated possession from start to finish. The Icelandic wave was there, pretty much 10 players behind the ball for the first maybe 35 minutes. And it's just how clinical Iceland were on the day. Really, they were presented with two chances and they slotted two goals home. You know, that first goal, we were kind of caught a little bit, exposed, particularly down the flank. Then we're kind of chasing the game a little bit, got the equaliser. Very well taken equaliser. But that final goal, it, it had concern concerning points for me. People not tracking runs, you know, just the basics. And, you know, this is international football at the end of the day. Iceland, the full-back that beat Troy Parrott to the ball, made his run, kept going. run wasn't tracked, crossed over to the strike for Iceland to score. Now, I did see the Iceland-Italian highlights from that Thursday Iceland were, I thought, a little bit unlucky not to come away with a draw in that game. They were very competitive during that game, so I was hoping maybe for a bit of a morale sapped from them, but it certainly wasn't. That first goal that Ireland conceded gave them massive energy, massive you know momentum, and it's just the under learning ground, I think, we will be disappointed that decide we're in a great position heading into the last three to four games, but that Italian game in Pisa was kind of a turning point, and then... With all the withdrawals from the senior side, like the Jason Knights were and Jason Mulanvies, Mal- the guys there had to be promoted to senior squad, so maybe a little bit of cohesion issues there. But you can't fault the efforts of the guys either. It's a learning experience, so hopefully they'll bounce back and come back stronger in the next qualification campaign. But yeah, it's brutal, fine lines in international football, and Iceland certainly gave Ireland under-21s a lesson.
0: And I think it just goes to show that the recent results by the... The senior Icelandic team is no accident. There's a conveyor belt of talent coming through. They beat us home and away in the qualifiers. They did lose, strangely, to Sweden 5-0 and twice to Italy. But overall, across the the qualifiers, you know, showed that they were good enough to play in the tournaments next year. Phil, I know we mentioned the players that are still eligible, but if you look at the players now that uh, will be uh, available to the senior team, there's Queven Keller, who's already been promoted, Conor Masterson, Daryl O'Shea, Conor Ronan, and Jason Malumbi, among others. Who do you think uh, is going to make the breakthrough from the other 21s to the senior setup? Well, I suppose it all depends on who's playing
1: club football. Now, a lot of them are playing club football on a, on a week in, week out basis. Obviously, Malumbi's situation isn't great, and um, Keller's situ- situation isn't great. You can see Gavin Bazuna. Making that team over Kelleher yet. Leo Connor, even Masterson. But I suppose the big focus will be on Mulumby and Knight and the forwards, which would be Paris as well. And possibly Oba Femi, you know, who's got he got back into the Southampton squad last night, I think. So even if we just took them four or five, if we could integrate them into the senior squad, th- that's a huge change. Like I remember when Kenny took over the under 21s, he had all this there was a lot of excitement and there was players being named every week. You were saying, look at all these guys. But realistically, when you look at it, you you think half of them aren't going to make it at the very top level. But I think with this actual crop of players, like there's no reason that five or six of these lads can't step up to the senior team. Like someone who hasn't really yet, O'Connor, is definitely someone who can break into that team. So overall, it's been a positive campaign. Like I would take into account what Mark said about the Italy game and that it's nearly like the under 21 campaign was, was two campaigns you had the first block and then they came back and they had the second block and with the manager changing and some players leaving for the senior squad the second half of the season you know you could call it that just didn't really work out i think if the whole thing was to have been played as normal i think there was a good chance they would have qualified but as mark said again it's under 21 football and it's all about learning and progressing and Well these lads would be disappointed to be a few of them there with their eyes on the senior team who'll be kinda delighted they're making the move up.
0: And I don't think anyone is gonna argue that they haven't made progress from the the last two qualifying series where they finished third and and, and fourth. And you'd hope that there'll be more from this team will feed into the senior team than in in previous under twenty one squads. But I think there's just going to be a a nagging suspicion over the team that how would they have done if Stephen Kenny had stayed in charge or how would they have done if the players that had been called into the senior team were still available to them. I think possibly the big result that would have been different is that final home qualifier against Iceland. You could definitely have seen them get a result there and and possibly go on to qualify for the, the final tournament. The final Irish national side involved in this year would be the women's team, who are playing group leaders, uh, already qualified Germany on Tuesday night, the 1st of December, in Thales Stadium. Now, uh, unfortunately, the team lost their last qualifier in Ukraine, uh, and it means they are facing a bit of an uphill battle uh, if they want to qualify. They need to better Ukraine's results, who are playing, montenegro at home against uh, a rampant germany side a germany side that have scored 37 goals and their six qualifiers to date without conceding one of the glimmers of hope for the team is that ireland were the first team to hold them scoreless in a, a single half of football uh when they lost three nil in essen in September and Germany failed to score in the second half, which was sorry the first time that the German team failed to score in a in a half of football uh, during the the qualifiers. The team has been hampered by similar circumstances to the the men's senior team. Recently declared American striker Kyra Carusa is not able to travel because she's based in Denmark. Brighton's Megan Connolly is undergoing return to play concussion protocols. And uh, London City Lionesses duo Ali Murphy and Haley Nolan have been deemed close contacts after two of the players at their club and a member of staff tested positive for coronavirus. So, Mark, I think the what it, the results in Ukraine was disappointing, but I actually think if you go back a little bit further, we played Greece a year ago in Athens and drew one-all with a very late equaliser from the Greeks. And I think that's actually the the result that might decide the group. If we had won that, we'd be three points clear of Ukraine with a better goal difference and possibly looking at qualification uh, as one of the best best three-best runners-up or or going to the playoffs otherwise. With all the best will in the world, uh, Vera Powell and her team... Are up against one of the best women's teams in the world right now, and it's going to be a bridge too far uh, for them to qualify.
2: Yeah, uh, I suppose uh, going about the campaign. I think campaign has been positive in many senses. That Greek away trip, yeah, was definitely one of those games that really did get away from Ireland. Uh, I totally agree with you, Joe. And that Ukrainian game away, like we had so much possession. It was one of those nights, unfortunately, wasn't it? Like nothing went right on the night. You know, we were hitting the crossbar, penalty saved, the goal that we gave away was just one of those things. But the only glimmer of hope I would say for Ireland, and this is a just a glimmer of hope, like Vera Poe and the team, the preparation has been you know, has been interrupted by the whole COVID, the pandemic, players coming into the squad at different times. But the glimmer of hope here is that Germany have qualified for the finals one they were facing Greece on Friday night before playing us four days later. Their head coach, Martina Voss tecklenburg she stated that she's going to rotate the squad. So you're hoping maybe a little bit of cohesion issues from Germany early might give Ireland, Republic of Ireland, a bit of hope here. Because all the onus is really on Poe and the, uh, the charges really to kind of really get a result here. So I would hope for Republic of Ireland's sake that they're going into this game... Pretty much no pressure. I know it's a crunch game and everything, but I think from the Ukrainian results, the team really did underperform. I think the magnitude of the fixture got to a few of the ladies. We're hoping that this performance next week is one where they know what to expect from Germany, particularly from the away trip. We were three to nil down at halftime. It could have been far worse, but the second half performance was vastly improved, defensively more organised. You know, there is a glimmer of hope there, particularly with Germany's decision, the head coach's decision to rotate. Now, that can have the flip side where a person, uh, uh, one of the girls in the German squad that's in the fringes, looking to make a massive impression, unfortunately does against us. So that's kind of where we are. But really, for Vera Poe and the team, it's the performance on the night. If it's good enough to get a result, all good. But again, it's a daunting task. And I think for all the Republic of Ireland, you know we've had Rihanna Jarrett on here in the podcast a couple of months ago. They're all going to be focused. they know what to expect from Germany. They know they only the very best performance from Ho Ferner will do on the night. Hopefully they can get a result. You know it mightn't be the win per se, even a draw against Germany would be a keynote result for everyone in Europe, even though we may not qualify with that result. At least it would be a massive milestone for this team to build on, on subsequent qualifications. Because the squad, the, the the emergence of the underage talent is there. You have the brilliance of likes Katie McCabe there. Rihanna Jarrett as well score for Brighton ladies recently enough. So there's players on form here. So best of luck to the ladies. It's a daunting task, but performance first and then we'll see what the result looks like after ninety minutes.
0: Yeah, and I think similar to the to the men's team, there's a lot of quality in the, the Ireland women's team. You know, Katie McCabe is doing really well for Arsenal, Diane Caldwell playing in Germany, Louise Quinn playing for Fiorentina in Italy and will be in the Women's Champions League this season. They're definitely capable of getting a result. And look, Ireland football teams have a history of getting results against Germany when it was needed in a home qualifier. So we wish the team the very best. I'd like to thank Mark and Phil for joining me this evening to discuss the three games against England, Wales and Bulgaria. Uh, We'll be back in a couple of weeks to discuss the World Cup qualifying draw in December. And we're also going to discuss Stephen Kenny's time in charge so far. We hope you'll join us then. Thank you. Bye-bye.